Welcome to Warrington Bible Fellowship. Today we have a special treat. Pastor Zach Ritz of Veritas Church is our guest speaker, and he'll be preaching today from John 17, verses 13 through 23, where Jesus desires for his joy to be fulfilled in us. But in order to have his joy, we've got to be hated by the world, specifically that we be hated because of the truth. We also must remain in the world and not be of it. And this isn't a solo mission. We must be united together as one so that the world might know that Jesus was sent to save them. Be sure to like and share and even follow our channel so you won't miss a thing. God bless you. Every now and then you run into somebody and the Holy Spirit just does something. And something just clicks. And I've had uh, several people approach me uh, in the last year or so about planning a church in Warrington, and that click hasn't happened. But when I met Zach Ritz, the Holy Spirit was all over those moments. He's got a vision for a church. Most of his church is here with us. If you guys could raise your hand, Veritas. <laughs> Look at that. Amen. <laughs> He's a, he's a young guy. He's got a lot of energy. Uh, he is solid theologically. Uh, we see eye to eye on a lot of things, and I think we're going to learn a lot by being uh, with each other. We're going to learn a lot together. So it's our privilege to have you today, Zach. It's our privilege to host you. May this be the first of many gatherings that we have together, and may we unite with Mission Christian Emmanuel, Warrington Bible Fellowship, and Veritas Church for the sake of the gospel in Warrington. Amen? Zach, would you come and, and give us your sermon, please? Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for this man that you have equipped. I thank you for the passion he has for your word, Father, for the vision he has for your church. Now I pray, Lord, that you would anoint this time. You would bless him with accuracy. Bless him with clarity, Father. Bless him with fire and passion for your word, Father. And bless him with life that we might be able to appropriate those things he shares with us into our walk, that we might walk in a manner worthy of our calling. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, preschool kids, if you haven't already, uh, we have downstairs for you, a little lesson. So if you're preschool aged, okay, some of you looks like, nope, all right, good. Uh, already went down there. That's so great. Uh, thank you so much for that introduction, Pastor John. Um, church, I want you to know how much of a blessing and encouragement your pastor uh, has been to me, even just in these few weeks that I've known him. And honestly, it's an honor and a privilege to bring the word to you this morning. Warrington Bible Fellowship, Thank you. Thank you for hosting us today and also in the future downstairs. You are an answer to prayer. A very specific prayer that we've been praying since we first started meeting that we believed God was calling us to be in Old Town Warrington and we didn't know how that was going to happen. It's before a new pastor, John. But we just believed uh, that, that God was doing something and that God wanted us here and here we stand and here we sit. Our God is amazing, and he uses his means, his church, and so we are thankful to you. Uh, Veritas, for those of you who don't know, is Latin for truth. Our vision as a church has always been to establish a church that is rooted in truth, 
that is saturated in prayer, that makes disciples and eventually will even plant other churches, but ultimately that makes much of Jesus. Our mission is very simple. We want to reach the lost, equip the found, and then send out the mature in Christ to go and do likewise. And we have felt called by God, yes, to be here in Old Town Warrington, but also to partner with like-minded churches who share that same God-given vision. And then I meet your pastor and your elders, and, and, and we see that prayer also being met, a church that we can partner together with, because this mission of ours is not just ours, it is the mission of every faithful church in this world. And so we are so thankful for all of you. Uh, hey, that's talking about our corporate prayer, but what about your individual prayer life? What has that uh, been like lately or been filled with? Uh, not necessarily church-related things maybe even, but just for you individually or for your family. Perhaps you've been consumed with prayers for health or health for loved ones. Some of us may also have prayers for the health of our nation or our economy. These are things that can keep you up at night in prayer. Or, or maybe some of us have been overwhelmed with a heavy workload, exhausted from parenting up all night with little ones, or maybe trying to remain hopeful for a wayward child who is now an adult but is not walking with the Lord in the way you would hope they would. Again, these are things that bring us to our knees at night in prayer to our holy God. I know for my family, we've been praying a very simple prayer. One, we pray for a home for Veritas, and so he's answered that first prayer. The other one we pray for is, is a home for the Ritz family. We're, we, we've been commuting uh, from Maryland, and so we keep praying, oh Lord, provide us a home as well. And we've continued to pray that, and you can join us in that prayer as well. But you know, sometimes we get so caught up in what we're asking God for, and we're asking things from God and, you know, to bless us with, to provide us, that sometimes we forget, God, what do you want from me? God, what do you want from us? Now, don't get me wrong, God is not in desperate need of us, right? He could do all things himself. He is fully capable. He is not fully dependent on us. However, he does appoint his means. He has appointed his means for how he wants to get things done in this world. And he has chosen that he would like to use his hands and his feet, the body of Christ, the local church. You and me. And so this morning, we're not going to talk about my prayer life or yours, but instead we're going to look at Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. We're going to look at Jesus' prayer, and we're going to ask, what is Jesus praying for? What does Jesus want from us? What does Jesus want for us? Now, he prays for quite a lot in John chapter 17, so we won't cover all of it. But if you have your Bibles, you can turn there to John chapter 17. We're going to draw near to Jesus as he is praying, as he was just talking with his disciples. In chapter 16, he then begins to pray. Looking up to the Father, he begins to pray. 
at the end of his sermon and his teaching in the past three chapters. And we're going to be looking at verse 13, and we're going to end in verse 23, which is a little bit short of when he ends his prayer. However, I've chosen these 10 verses in the Lord's Prayer because he's ready to go back to the Father. And what does he pray for? He prays for his disciples. He's getting ready to go back to the Father, and he prays for his disciples, but not for his 12 only, but for all those who would become his disciples through their word, through their preaching of the gospel. Church, Jesus here in chapter 17 is praying for you and for me. And Jesus prays for us. In verse 13, what does he pray for? Jesus prays for our joy. Our joy. John 17, verse 13 says, but now I am coming to you. Praying to his Father. But now I am coming to you, Father. And these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. As he's turning to these next 10 verses, what is his prayer? What is his, what is his desire? What is he asking God for? For us to have his joy fulfilled in us. Now, just to give a little context, this is the true Lord's Prayer. Of course, we usually talk about the Lord's Prayer being our Father who art in heaven, right? <laughs> and then we usually get confused whether it's trespasses or, or debtors. <laughs> I say trespasses, so at the very end, if I, if I go into the Lord's Prayer, just follow along with me. But this is actually the prayer of the Lord. And our Father who art in heaven is the teaching of the Lord. He, uh, the disciples ask, Lord, teach us to pray. And so he teaches them to pray, our Father who art in heaven. But here in John 17, this is the Lord praying. He is praying. We call this Jesus' high priestly prayer. Why? Because he's, uh, he begins praying for himself, but mostly he is praying as a good priest for his people on their behalf. Praying for his disciples before what? Making a sacrifice on their behalf. He is soon going to go to the garden to be betrayed by Judas, to be arrested and tried, and to be crucified. The high priest is also the sacrifice. He's getting ready to leave his followers and go to the Father, but first he gives them his word, John 13 through 16, and then his prayer in John 17. And what does he pray? He prays that they might have his joy fulfilled in them. That is his prayer, and it's also what he spoke back in John 15, verse 11, where he says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. You see, Jesus warns his disciples, look, it, it might look like I'm losing the battle come Friday. Matter of fact, you're going to be pretty sorrowful come Saturday, but don't lose heart. May your joy be full, because I'm going to win the victory come Sunday. And sure enough, Jesus, up from the grave, he arose. He did. He won the victory over Satan, sin, and death. But this joy for the disciples would have to go on, because Jesus would ascend to the right hand of God the Father, right? Right? But the book of Acts continues. The church would be sent out into the world. They would need that joy 
the joy of the Lord to be their strength as they continued on. They couldn't get their joy from the world and how things were going around them. Oh, no, certainly not. Matter of fact, that's why the prosperity gospel makes no sense at all. Right? Health and wealth and prosperity for the disciples. Hey, how about this? Jesus' 12 disciples were all martyred for their faith. Most of them tortured or left in prison to die. We know this either by the book of Acts or according to church history. You see, if their joy came from this world, they would have no joy at all. No, but Jesus had a joy that transcended the world. He had a joy that was able to even endure the cross, as Hebrew says, as the joy set before him. His disciples likewise had to have that joy as they themselves took up their cross and followed Jesus. And church, I think we need that joy to follow Jesus in our culture today too, right? To take up our cross and follow him for the joy set before us, to lay down our lives, to live our lives for him. Now our culture today, church, wants uh, wants this, what we're doing right here, to be canceled, (laughs) wants Christians to be blocked, want truth to be suppressed in unrighteousness. If we were to have joy living as Christians in today's culture, we're going to need that joy to be not of this world. We're going to need a joy that goes above and beyond who's in the Oval Office. We're going to need a, a joy that can endure all things in a world that will reject us for standing for truth. A world that will hate us because they first hated him. Jesus continues his prayer in verse 14. He says, Father, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. Speaking of his disciples, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Now I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Church, and how how do these verses here about the world hating us relate to our joy in the verse before? Well, if you're going to have the joy of Jesus inside of you filled to its fullest, well then buckle up because the world's going to hate you. Jesus prays for us to have his joy in us, but first thing, we must be hated by the world. Jesus, I mean, we like the joy part, right? But Jesus, but you're going to be hated by the world. Jesus knows that his disciples would have to endure extreme persecution, and they did for following Jesus as the risen king. They would actually follow Jesus above king and country. Whoa. You know, every time we drive down here, it's a two-hour drive. Very beautiful, especially when you go down uh, 15. But we pass by this church in Frederick, Maryland. And this church has three poles outside and three flags. The American flag, the state flag, and the Christian flag. Now, I don't know very much about flying flags, so I had to do a little Google research. And if it's wrong, you guys can correct me after service. But at least even just visibly when driving by it, there's one that flew the highest 
and then the other two separately flew at the same level. The one at the top, the American flag, then the state flag, and the Christian flag, which I think means that priority is given to the national flag, and then since it's to the right hand, then their faith in Christ, and then to the state. Now again, I could be wrong on that, and, and maybe they have no idea about the whole flag thing, and they just thought it looked pretty, right? But I will tell you this, I pledge my allegiance to a king who sits on the throne, who rules and who created this world and rules all nations under heaven. Jesus is my king and I pledge my allegiance ultimately to him. Now don't get me wrong, I love America, right? Greatest nation on earth, I say. But, but those early disciples, they pledged their allegiance to Christ above all. They pledged their allegiance even to Christ over Caesar, and that's what got them in trouble. That's why the world hated them. They would obey Jesus as king of all kings and lord of all lords. And what do you think all the non-Christian lords of the land thought about that? The kings and lords of the land would not tolerate Christians saying that they obey a higher authority than them. Right? Right? The world hated them. And so too the world will hate us if we likewise claim that Christ and his word has the highest authority in our life. Now, the lords of our land today in culture, they don't mind you doing very much at all. They'll let you do pretty much anything. They'll let boys be girls, girls be boys. You can be agnostic, atheist, Scientologist, Buddhist, Marxist, but they do not want you to be a Christian. That is, a Christian who claims that Christ and his word has authority over all. That'll get us in trouble, too. If you call Jesus and his word your highest authority, you will be hated in the world, but you won't have a care in the world because you will have the joy of Christ fulfilled in you. Hate me all you want, I'm following him. And his joy will give me strength. So Jesus prays for his disciples that they would endure all persecution, that they would remain faithful to his word above all. And may we endure any persecution that comes our way in our day. But let's just make sure that we're being hated because of truth and not something else. Because to have his joy, yes, we must be hated by the world, but Jesus is very specific, hated because of truth. That's why we are set apart and sanctified from the world is because of truth. His word is truth. So we must be hated because of truth. John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus says, set them apart from the world because of this. So we must be hated because of truth, not because we're unwilling to love people, <laughs> or not because we're unwilling to care for people, serve people. We should all be eager and willing to do that. But we should be ready to be hated, not because we're unwilling to love, but maybe hated because of how we define what is love, which is not just affirmation but to love enough to speak truth. They should not hate us because we're unwilling to love, 
but they might hate us for how we define what is love. Maybe how we define marriage, or how we define what is a boy or a girl, or how we define what it means to live a life that is pleasing to God. May we be people who know how to walk that fine line, and I know many of you do this, walk in the fine line of loving your neighbor without affirming them in their sin. That is so hard to do. But church, we must know their name, right? Not just send the hate messages on Facebook, like John was saying. But to know their name, to know their pain, to know what is their struggle, to help them in their burdens, to pray for them, to serve them, and then call them to repent of their sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and so be saved. Because church, that is love. To love someone enough to tell them about Jesus and the love that he has for them. Man, that is love. Our nation, in many ways, you can see it, is lost, deceived, and spiritually dead. But Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through him. But it's our job to go and tell them about him, isn't it? The Lord has appointed his means for how they will know of him. We must be the ones to show them the way, to tell them the truth, and to live our lives for Jesus while remaining in the world, not escaping from it. Because in order to have the joy of Christ, yes, we must be hated by the world and hated because of truth, but we must be in the world. We must be in the world, just not of it, right? John 17, verse 18 and 19, Jesus continues to pray, As you sent me, Father, into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. So in order to have the joy that Jesus had to endure the cross, we must live our lives like Jesus lived his. Jesus gives himself as the illustration Jesus says, I was hated by the world, so too my disciples will be hated by the world. I was be hated because of truth, they will be hated because of truth. I am not of this world, they are not of this world. But I was sent into this world, and so I am sending them into this world. Jesus was a friend of sinners. He was a friend of sinners. He was in the world. He drank wine that he made at a wedding in Warrington. Wait, no. Sorry. It wouldn't be far from the truth, though, right? I mean, hey. Wedding in Cana. And he shared a meal with tax collectors and prostitutes. Does that mean that Jesus condones drunkenness, stealing, bribery, or prostitution? No. But he lived his life with those people so that they might be saved. Brothers and sisters, do you have those sorts of people in your life? Those who are far from God, are you a a friend of sinners? And if not, how are they going to be saved? For God has appointed his means. How are they going to be saved if we don't know their name? If we don't share a meal with them, I, 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 honestly, 
our tendency in the 21st century as Christians, conservative Christians, tendency is to flee from the world, to hide away from the world, to avoid persecution at all costs, and to run away from the lost. If we acted like, if Jesus acted like us, none of us would ever be saved. But Jesus, he was, he was not of this world, but, but he was in this world. Jesus runs towards those caught in the flames of hell, not away from them. Jesus was sent from the Father into the world, and so now Jesus says he sends his disciples and us into the world. It's important that we don't get this word consecrated wrong. Consecrated or to be made holy. Some of us are like, I'm holy, right? Like it's a, I'm set apart from all that. I'm going to stay over here, away from you. But no, this word consecrated, to be made holy, um, it's used often in the Old Testament to describe uh, things that are made holy unto the Lord for the Lord's service and the Lord's temple, to be used for the Lord. It could be anything, like forks. Forks could be consecrated, made holy to the Lord. uh, And some of you, I can see it, some of you have some utensils at home that are consecrated as well, don't you? You have those spoons that you like to use for ice cream or, or cereal? Special, okay, yeah. Not the little ones, the big ones, right? They're supposed to be serving spoons, right? No. Serve some ice cream. And then some of you even, you, you go out to the restaurants and you hang on to those uh, plastic spoons because you prefer one of those. Maybe you have those in your, hiding away in your cupboards. Or maybe I'm just telling on myself. But you can consecrate anything. Make it holy. Holy unto the Lord. Holy for the Lord's service. Okay, so chairs and people, an entire tribe, of Levi was set apart from the other tribes to be used, what, as priests in the temple. So if something is consecrated, it means it is set apart from the rest for a specific purpose. It is not just to be put up on a shelf and to be observed, but like a tool in the hands of a carpenter. It is being set apart for a job, for a task, for a mission. Jesus says, I have consecrated myself to do what? The will of the Father. I've been set apart. To do what? To be used of the Lord for the Lord's work. And then what does he say? And so too, sanctify them. Set them apart. Why? So everybody can look at us and say, wow, you guys are so holy. No, so we could be set apart so that then we could be sent on mission with a task, with a purpose for the Lord. And church, uh, (laughs) this prayer that Jesus prays to the Father is answered every Sunday. Matter of fact, it's being answered right now. We've been set apart from the world this morning, have we not? Churches everywhere, right? Set apart from the world for a time? For, for what purpose? To be consecrated? Sanctified by what? By the truth. I know your pastor preaches the truth every week from the Word of God. That's what sets us apart. The word, his word is truth. We are consecrated by truth. We are set apart because of truth. Set apart then to do what? To receive our instruction from the Lord and then to be sent back out on mission for the Lord. Filled with the joy of Christ to serve our king above all else. But if we want to have this joy of Christ to serve him and him alone, 
We must be hated by the world, hated because of truth. We must be in the world, but not of it. And to have this joy, we cannot do this mission alone. We must be unified together as one. As one. That's what Jesus prays for. This is not a solo mission. It's not all about you. It's about him. And all of us have the same mission. So for our final point to consider, let's look at Jesus' prayer in order to have this joy fulfilled in us, we must be united as one so that the world might know him. John 17, 20 to 21, Jesus prays, I do not ask for these only, the disciples before him, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Our unity is evangelistic. Jesus prays for his disciples and for the disciples that are made through the preaching of the gospel, that they would be united as one, working together as one, just as the Father and Son are in perfect unison and love. And our partnership here in Warrington ought to cause the world and all those in Warrington who don't know Jesus to say, look how they love each other. Look how they serve one another. They call each other brother and sister and they've barely even met. That kind of sounds like Jesus. They must be Christians. This prayer that Jesus prays to the Father is also answered in the book of Acts. That is how they got the name Christian. They loved one another. They served one another. If someone had need of something, another would provide it. They were persecuted together. They praised God together. They did life together. They served Christ together. And what did the world call them? Christians. You all look like a bunch of little Christs. Well, thank you. (laughs) We should love that name. Embrace that name. Praise God for that name to see Christ in me. That's what I'm living for, that you might see Christ in me. That you might see Jesus, the one who brings both truth and grace, the one who loves sinners enough to share a meal with them and then to share with them their need for salvation. Brothers and sisters, Jesus prays for us to be set apart as one, to be hated as one, to be sanctified in truth as one, to be sent out as one, centered on the word of God, surrounded by the family of God, living on the mission of God, all for the glory of God. Amen? Oh, that the world might come to love the one that they currently hate, just like you. We might love the one that they currently hate that they would come to know Jesus and the love of Jesus and to know the love of the Father who sent his Son to save them. John 17, 22 to 23, these are our final two verses. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. That the Father loves us even as he loved his own son? How undeserving a love is that? 
that he would lay down his life for a world that rejected him, hated him, despised him, crucified him. That he would love sinners like you and me, the Father, in the same way he loves the Son. Church, our mission will not be over until the world knows this truth, that the Father loves them and sent his Son to save them. But this consecrated mission that we have is going to be like swimming against the current of a mighty river or an above-ground swimming pool. Okay, growing up, uh, my friends and I, we all had above-ground swimming pools. And one of the things that we loved to do, anybody ever in an above-ground swimming pool, was get a whirlpool going. That's the best. And, I mean, I could get one going okay by myself, but it was always best when you had more people involved. If you can get the adults to get in, man, that thing would really get whipping. The little kids would have to get out or hold on to a pool noodle for dear life because we'd get that thing going. And sometimes it would be fun just to kind of kick your feet up and just be taken by the whirlpool. But you know what the, the best part was? Is when you stopped and you started going the other way and see if you could fight against the current and then finally, eventually get that thing spinning in the other direction. You know, there's a time in our nation where people turn their back on Christ. And then you know what happened? There was this thing called the Great Awakening. And the gospel went forth. And people turned back around in faith in Christ. And then you know what happened? Turned their back on Christ again. And then you know what happened? The second Great Awakening happened. And church, I'm just going to throw this out there, but maybe we need a third awakening. A third awakening, not just for our nation, but for the people that represent the nation, that they would come to know Christ and turn from sin to follow the Savior. But we're going to need to have our feet planted firmly in truth. Because if not, you're just going to get swept up with the current. We are sanctified and set apart by truth. And by that truth, united together, walking together, step by step, in fullness of joy, together, united with the glory of the triune God, living on mission together, not just for ourselves, but for those who would be reached by our word, the good news, that Jesus was sent by the Father, that Jesus was hated and rejected by the world, that Jesus died on the cross and was raised to life. Jesus was able to bring heaven to earth. Jesus was able to fight the strongest currents of Satan's sin and death and come out victorious. Before this prayer that he prays for us, he says to them in John 16, verse 33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. Why? He says, I have overcome the world. So why do I believe that the church in our age can overcome the world? Maybe get this thing spinning the other way? Because Jesus did. And he promised to be with us always. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for sending your son to save sinners like us. If not for Jesus, we would hate you. If not for your word, 
we would be just as lost as the world around us. Thank you, Father, for empowering your disciples with your Holy Spirit to live lives faithful even unto death, holding firm to your word and to the faith. Help us, Lord, likewise, to bind together as your church, to stand firm on your truth and to be in the world, sharing the good news of all that you've done for us and also for them. Lord, we will need much from you in order to accomplish the mission that you have for us to do. But, O oh Lord, consecrate us. Set us apart for your purposes and for your glory. Fill us with your joy, and may your joy be our strength. As we pray, as you taught us to pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.